Now, if you're just tuning in, maybe for the first time, we want to say thank you. We've been working our way through the book of Hebrews in a series called Jesus is Better. And we're able to see that Jesus is better because of the background that the author is addressing. The church is being persecuted for their faith. They're facing intensifying social and economic pressure for their allegiance to Christ. And so Hebrews is written to encourage the church not to fall away from Jesus. Because Jesus is the only heaven-sent solution for our sin. He's not just better than all the other solutions. He's actually the only solution that works. We cannot cover up our sin. We can't remove our sin through religious rituals or good deeds. We could not cleanse our consciences by sacrificing animals, and we can't cleanse them now by doing good deeds or giving to charitable causes. To dwell with God, we needed a truly clean conscience. We needed an inward transformation, eternal redemption, a forever payment for our sin, and a cleansing from the inside out, and only Jesus can provide that deep cleansing. So far in the book of Hebrews, We've seen that Jesus is the guarantee of a better covenant. Chapter 7, verse 22. We've seen that He is the mediator of a better covenant. Chapter 8, verse 6. We've seen that a mediator is one who represents or stands between two parties, who negotiates a better deal. But the problem that we had was our sin stood between us and God, and God cannot change His holy nature. And so Jesus, the great God-man, came down died the death that we should have died, lived the life that we should have lived, and if we trust in Him, He will be our mediator and bring us together so that we can have fellowship with God. Today we're going to see that this is possible because Jesus is a better sacrifice than all the other sacrifices of the Old Testament and of the Old Covenant. We're going to see that we can have life because Jesus died. Would you hear now the word of God from Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 15 and through the end of the chapter. Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 15 and continuing through the end of the chapter. For this reason, He, meaning Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead. For it is never in force while the one who made it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. For when the commandment Excuse me, for when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law, one may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, 
but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once and after this comes the judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly wait Him. Now that is an awful lot of text with some complexities along the way, but there's good news. Verse 15 is kind of a summary of everything that's going to be explained in verses 16 through 28. If we can grab verse 18, we can get the primary meaning of the rest of chapter 9. And what we're seeing is that because Jesus secured eternal redemption and made a way to cleanse our conscience, which is what we saw two weeks ago in Hebrews 9, 11-14, because that is true, He is the mediator, the one who makes the bridge between God and man of a new covenant. Not a covenant where only the high priest can go up year by year and, and sort of cover the sins and pay them forward, but a, a mediator who has atoned for our sins once and for all. A covenant, therefore, where all of us, wherever we are this morning, we don't have to go to the Catholic church and see the priest. No matter where we are this morning, we can draw near to God if we are in Christ. This is possible because uh, Jesus is a better sacrifice. And what we see this morning, a sermon in the sentence, is this. By offering Himself as a sacrifice, Jesus pays the penalty of sin required by the Old Covenant, and, secondly, Jesus secures the promised eternal inheritance, which we wait at His return. I, I'm going to be real simple this morning to, to start. If, if we were still under the Old Covenant, our death would be required. The death of animals wasn't enough. But Jesus came and paid the price the Old Covenant required. He, he put an end to the Old Covenant's demand for your death. And because He put an end to the Old Covenant demand covenant's demand for your death, He opened a new way for you to obtain the eternal inheritance promised by God. We couldn't get there in the Old Covenant. We never kept the law. We kept sinning. We kept failing. And so in Christ, He's obeyed on our behalf. And through His obedience, we have the opportunity at His return to obtain the promises of God. So first, we see that Jesus pays the penalty of sin required by the Old Covenant. From the first sin, the sins of Adam and Eve, until today, the price demanded by sin has always been death. Jesus, or, or the, the Lord said to Adam and Eve, when you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Genesis 2.17 In verses 16-22, through 22, the author is writing about the relationship between the first covenant and the new covenant. Back in Exodus 24, the... Israelites pledged to keep God's law, and they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses made some sacrifices and took the blood of the sacrifice bulls and sprinkled it on the people, representing the fact that their sin deserved death and separation from God's presence. But if they would now obey, 
they would receive blessing. We know how that went for them. They didn't obey very long. The sacrifice of animals and the sprinkling of blood at this initiation of the first covenant was representative of the fact that the people should have died, but God was making a way for them not to die so that they could still be God's people. But as we've seen again and again and again in the book of Hebrews, animal sacrifices were insufficient to pay for human sin. It was necessary for Jesus to come because as verse 16 says, the death of the covenant maker must be born. Now you might say that's not what my translation says. Uh, the, the Greek word there is literally must be born. The, the one who is making a covenant with God, their sin must somehow must be born away, taken away, carried by someone other than the covenant maker so that the covenant maker themselves are not consumed. Then verse 17 adds this quite graphically. Covenants are not operative unless there are corpses. O'Brien summarizes it this way. Under the first covenant, the covenant maker and the corpses refer to the people of Israel. Having broken the covenant, they must now experience the curse of death. The animals, therefore, die in the place of the corpses that there should have been. What Israel deserved under the first covenant was death, not blessing, because they did not obey and praise God, Jesus came to die to remove the penalty of death that we deserved. Verses 18 through 22 remind us the old covenant was inaugurated, it was initiated with a whole bunch of blood. In Leviticus 17:11, we learn that the life is in the blood. And so the shedding of the blood and the sprinkling of the blood on these instruments in the tabernacle was a vivid reminder of Israel's sin and the death that it deserved. One author summarizes the uh, or the author rather summarizes his argument in verse 22 with these words. One could almost say all things are cleansed with blood. It's really difficult to overstate the importance of blood in the old covenant. Sacrificial blood was required for access into the holy places of the tabernacle. We saw that back in verse 7. It was the basis of the beginning of the first covenant. We see that in verse 18. It was used to consecrate the people of God. We see that in verse 19. It was used to cleanse the instruments used in approaching God's presence. We see that in verse 21. And it was used to cleanse many different things under the law. Verse 22. And all of this blood that is described in the, the first section of this passage is intended to show us that without the shedding of blood, verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now, forgiveness means the release from sin's great penalty and our great enemy, death itself. Now, you might be thinking, what about the people who didn't have the old covenant? What about the people who didn't know about God's law? Paul answers this question in Romans chapter 2. All who sin without the law will also perish without the law. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law unto themselves. Romans chapter 2 verses 12 and 14. You see, Adam didn't have the Mosaic covenant. Adam and Eve didn't have that covenant, and yet they knew that if they violated God's law, that sin would bring death. 
In other words, even people who don't have the Old Testament, they still have consciences that they do not obey. The Jews did not keep God's law. Gentiles violated the law of conscience. So God's verdict, according to Romans 3, is that Jew and Gentile and all of humanity, if they don't trust in Christ, are guilty and fall short of the glory of God. Indeed, those who trust in Christ are guilty as well. Jesus died not for His guilt, but for ours. And praise God, He took it upon Himself so that death, as we just sang, could be arrested and our life could begin. Jesus came to offer Himself as the better and final sacrifice to pay in full the forever price of death that we deserved. The death of animals could not solve our sin problem, but it could signal that someone greater was on the way. And that someone greater has come. His name is Jesus. His blood pays in full the price of our redemption. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, Peter explains it this way, Jesus Himself bore our sins on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by His wounds we are healed. Because Jesus died... Death is dead for all who will trust in Him. As Paul says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? And because Jesus not only died for us, but was raised, we can also have an eternal inheritance. It's not only that we deserve to die, and Christ took our death, but He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, which means He's coming again, not to be sacrificed again, not to deal with our sin, but to give us the internal, eternal inheritance that He has promised to His people. We see that in verses 23-28. through 28. The death of Jesus counts in the place of all who flee their sin and trust in Him. Those who, as verse 15 says, are called by God. Those who've been called. Jesus secures the eternal promise, eternal in, promised eternal inheritance which we await at his, at his return for those who have been called by God. The word calling, do you see it there in verse 15? The word called refers to God's powerful, miraculous, life-changing call in the lives of those who trust in Christ. The word calling at the root word there is the word uh, call out or ecclesia. It's the word from which we get the word church. The church are those who are called out by God into salvation through Jesus Christ. Those who have been saved, wherever you are this morning, whatever, however you're watching, however you're tuning in today, if you've been called by God, you've been called out of death and into life through the death and resurrection life of Jesus Christ. You've been called out of worldliness You've been called out of a pattern of self-worship and sin. You've been called out of worry and worldliness and into a life of worshiping Christ and denying yourself. Those who belong to Jesus are, as Paul says, called into the fellowship of God's Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Corinthians 1.9 The book of Hebrews is all about fellowship. It's all about the miracle that you can have fellowship with God. You can commune with God. You can know God. You can belong to God. You can know what it is to have a right standing with God. And I, I want to use three words to sort of summarize the progression that we're seeing 
here in Hebrews chapter 9. Jesus died so that we might die to ourselves and live to God. And because He has died and canceled our sin and cleansed our conscience, we can now abide with Him now. Verse 24 says, this is not a reality that we're waiting on. He has now been crucified. He has now been raised so that we can know God now. He is in the heavenly places for us right now. So Christ died so that we might die to self, so that we might abide with God in the here and now. And then verse 28 shows us, and as we abide in Him, we wait with confidence knowing He is bringing the fullness of the promised eternity that awaits when Christ returns. In verses 23 through 28, the author's main point is this. The perfect sacrifice of Jesus is enough. It is enough for you to rest in Christ and eagerly await His return. Is Jesus enough for you right now? As we're quarantined and social distancing and trying to get to Kroger and avoid everyone else at Kroger, as you're trying to make sense of a new normal, have you found that communion with God through the sacrifice and life that Christ gives is enough? Hebrews is urging us, do not run back to the old covenant. Don't run back to any other system of trying to cover up your sin or ignore your sin or cleanse your sin. We have had every opportunity to obey God in our own power and we fail over and over and over again. But Christ did not fail. Why would you go to any other place other than Jesus who conquers death and secures God's everlasting promises by starting a new covenant in His blood? He, just, he did not just end the demands of death of the old covenant. He started a brand new way for you to know God through His blood. Not the blood of animals, not your blood, but in His blood, He ripped open the veil and opened access by which you can commune with God. And because Jesus never failed, because He was perfect, He was able at the time of His resurrection and through His ascension to enter, look at verse 24, not a holy place made with hands. He's not in some tent in the wilderness. He is seated in the heavens. He wasn't there in a mere copy of the true tabernacle, but He went into heaven itself right now to appear in the presence of God for us. You say, well, I, just, I, feel, I feel like I've disappointed God. I, I feel like I've let my family down. I, I feel like I've done something wrong. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, and He's right there in the heavens interceding on your behalf so that you might have communion with God. The phrase in verse 24, made with hands, is often used in the Old Testament to describe the making of idols. Idols were made with hands. Paul in Acts chapter 17 says this, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Jesus has entered not a human tabernacle, but the transcendent and heavenly realm where God reigns. And look at verse 24. Jesus went in there for us. He went in there for the people of God. I want to say something. It's so weird that people not being here, but I know you're hearing me out there. I want to say something to you that's important. 
There are some theologians who want to draw a distinction between the work of Jesus. Well, Jesus went to the cross in obedience to the Father. He went to the cross because He loved the Father. And His his, uh, motivation in obeying all the way to the cross was because of His love for the Father. And that is absolutely right. And that is His ultimate motivation. But sometimes... People say that as though Jesus really didn't care about the people that He was saving. And that's a bunch of baloney. Because the Bible says that He was crucified, buried, and raised, and now ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father. Right now, why? For us. He is there for you. He's there so that you can commune with God. So that you can know the love of God. So that the Holy Spirit who changed you from the inside out can keep on applying the cross work of Christ to your life to cancel the death that you deserved and give you life everlasting in the presence of God right now. He's there for us. I didn't say it. Hebrews said it. It's in verse 24. There you go. When verse 23 speaks of cleansing the heavens, the point is that one must be clean to dwell with God and and in order to know His presence. The verse does not mean that the heavens needed to be cleansed. It doesn't mean that um, there was something unholy or unclean about the presence of God. What it means is we had to be clean. For us to bring our uncleanness into God, something had to transpire. For us to know God's holy and heavenly presence, Jesus had to make a way for us to dwell with the all-powerful, almighty, eternal, and holy, clean, and pure God. And the blood of animals couldn't do it, but the blood of Jesus did and still does. Indeed, the primary goal of the New Testament is not so much to get you out of the world and into heaven, as it is to get heaven into your hearts in the here and now. Because of the priestly ministry of Jesus in the heavens, you can have communion with God right now. That's the message of verses 25 and 26. Jesus grants those who've been called out of darkness and into His light ongoing access to God. Which is possible because Jesus did not offer someone else's blood, but His own blood. With His once for all death, now at the consummation of the ages, the last days have come. I've heard some say with the dawning of Corona, man, Jesus must be coming soon. We're living in the last days. Newsflash, we've been living in the last days since Jesus came and gave His life at the consummation of the ages. And it counts once for all. He's not coming back to be sacrificed again. He doesn't have to be sacrificed day by day. He's God. He's the great God-man who came down to inaugurate a new covenant, and there's one way to know God, and it's through the blood of Jesus. There's no other option. No other blood would work. So the Son of God came. He wrapped Himself in our humanity, and He died, look at verse 26, to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. What a Savior. Jesus sacrificed Himself so that the death we deserved would be canceled and we could have access to commune with God and a hope and an assurance that the everlasting life and the eternal inheritance that we look forward to is on the way. Corona, a car wreck, cancer, 
any one of those might take our lives. But they cannot kill us if we're in Christ. The confidence of the one who lives in this world if they are in Christ is that death is dead. It's destroyed through the blood of Jesus. And because our penalty of death is destroyed by Christ's death, we now await a glorious eternity with Him because Christ has been raised in victory over death once for all. And if that's true, church, I want to encourage you, because many of you are on social media right now more than ever, I want to encourage you to tune out the, the people who are all negative Nancy all the time. Don't, don't buy into the narrative that, that life is now dull and it's over and it's boring because we're living for a king who is coming back and he's bringing us an eternal inheritance and we have an opportunity right now as the people of God to prove that our hope is not in the here and now but it's in the king who's coming again. Because of sin, people die once and they are judged. We read about that in verses 27 and 28. And here's the argument that the author of Hebrews is making in those verses. It goes something like this. Just like everyone else lives and dies once and leads to a final judgment, so also does the living and dying of Jesus. Jesus came and He lived once on earth and He died once on earth and that's it. That's, that's all He's going to do and it's all He has to do. Now here's the good news, church. If you are in Christ, if you are united with Christ, if you've repented of your sin and trusted in Him, then His death has already been judged. And, and the judgment is that your sin deserved death, but the death has already been paid and He's been raised to life. And if you're in Christ, there's no more judgment coming on you. You can walk in freedom. You can walk in joy. You can walk in the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was appointed to be God's final sacrifice for sins. To die once to pay the price for sin for all the descendants of Adam who trust in Him and become therefore children of God. In Christ, church, we therefore have no need to dread death. Instead, we eagerly await the promise of an eternal inheritance at Christ's return. Jesus has promised He's coming again. The end of the Scriptures, as Pastor Ethan noted last week, says, Come, Lord Jesus. Jesus is coming to make all things new. And those whose sin has been judged already in His death will live forever with Him in the resurrection. This is the promise we need in days such as these. The Christian life is a life of dying to self. It's a life of abiding with God. And it's a life of waiting for Christ's glorious return. The Christian life is a life of consistent waiting. Even in the age of COVID-19, we know that our sins are put away through the death of Christ. We know that we have access to God right now through His blood. We know that we are called to be different from the world as those who are dead to self and alive to the things of God. And we know that we can, because Christ is coming again, cease our senseless striving. We can slow down and we can rest as we eagerly await the return of our Savior. There's a hymn written in the late 1890s 
called My Faith Has Found a Resting Place. It goes something like this. My faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed. I trust the ever-living One. His wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that He died for me. Is that your reality today? Do you know this high priest and king who was crucified, buried, and raised for you? If you don't know Him, let today be the day in the middle of craziness. Let today be the day that you turn from your sin and trust in Christ. And if, if you need to have rest that can only come from the forgiveness of your sin and life abundant in Christ, I'm going to pray right now. And if you want to pray after me right where you are, if this is the need of your life, I, I would ask that you would pray right after me. And if you're trusting Christ today for the very first time, if you would reach out to the church and notify us, we want to help you where you are to know that your death is destroyed through the death of Christ and that you will live forever with Him at His return. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, we don't know in this room what you're doing out there, but we know that you've promised your word does not return void. God, we know that you are in the heavens for your people. And we know that there are some who have not yet fled their sin and died to themselves so that the new covenant could be operative in their life. They're still living on their own. They're still living for their own glory and their own fame. They're still living for their own career, their own ambitions. Their ambition is not for the glory of Christ to be made known in the world. It's for themselves and and God, right now they realize for them to receive the new covenant, they've got to die. They've got to die to themselves and take up a whole new way of life in Jesus. So God, for the, the man or the woman or the child who's, who's heard this message and realized, I need, I need Jesus and I need hope beyond this world and they want to come to you this morning in faith and repentance, God, I pray they would pray something like this, Lord Jesus, I need you. I know that I'm a sinner. God, I've, I've said things and done things and thought things that displease You. God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank You for sending Your Son to die in my place. Jesus, I thank You. Jesus, I pray that You would change my life. Holy Spirit of God, that You would transform me and give me a new power, a new outlook, and a new way of seeing the world. God, that You would make me right now a child of God. And that You would cause me daily to not live for myself, but to live for Jesus, and to help me to know more and more how to do that. Help me to find a local church that's going to help me in these things. Jesus, thank You for dying for me. I look forward to being with You in the new heavens and the new earth. Thank You for being in the heavens right now, pleading my case. We give You praise for who You are and for the hope that we have through the blood of Jesus. 
Amen.